Ciao! And welcome to the Frank Dot World Podcast. The podcast for Australian tween girls. Like me! Filled with amazing talent and awesome interviews. We're perfect for listening to in the car, on the way home from school, and wherever else life takes you together. I'm Francesca. I'm Brianna. And we're here to start your next conversation. So join us as we explore all things tweens love in one shiny podcast. Our guest today is author Jacqueline Moriarty. Jacqueline is a best-selling author of novels for children, young adults and adults, with titles including Feeling Sorry for Celia, The Stolen Prince of Cloudburst and the mesmerically titled I Have a Bed Made of Buttermilk Pancakes. Her books have been translated into several languages and she has won multiple awards including the New South Wales and Queensland Premier's Literary Awards. A former media and entertainment lawyer, Jacqueline has lived around the world and now calls Sydney home. She has four sisters, one brother, a son and a dad who would often pay her $1.50 to write a story as a little girl. She's also very fond of blueberries, chocolate and ice skating. Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Your latest books, The Astonishing Chronicles of Oscar from Elsewhere, involves two of my greatest loves, magic and skateboarding. Where do you get your inspiration from? Uh, that's a good question, and I'm very happy that you like magic and skateboarding. That's a lovely combination. Um, for this particular one, the inspiration came from the fact that my son, he's 15 now, but he was 12 when I, when I got the idea for this book, and he loves skateboarding. And he and his friends were taking buses and trains all over the city of Sydney trying to find the ideal skate park, and they they had a kind of dream of, the best, the biggest, the most magical skate park that they could find. And they talked about things like one day we'll go to Canberra or Queensland. Maybe we'll even get on a plane and fly to Russia and find their best skate park. (laughs) At the same time as that, I'd been writing the Kingdom and Empire books, which is a magical world of the kingdoms and empires. And I always wanted to find a way for kids from our world to be able to get into the kingdoms and empires because I always prefer fantasy worlds that we're allowed to find our way into, you know, through a wardrobe or a crack between the worlds because I want to believe they're real. So I was walking past the skate park one day and I thought, imagine if there was a way through the skate park into the kingdoms and empires. And the thing that was most alluring to a 12-year-old boy was the idea of the biggest and best skate park ever being right through this crack into this world. And then the skate park turns out to be a city of elves. I love Ooh. that. It's, I can't it's wait. the reality and the magic. It's beautiful. Um, and speaking of your son, now obviously he's 15. Has anything changed in your writing? Obviously you've just gone through the tween years with him. So have you noticed having lived and breathed that for so many years, anything's changed in your writing? That's a great question. I think I used to write for young adults, for teenagers. That were, They were my first books. And then as I kept getting older and my youngest sister was a teenager when I first started writing and then she was growing up and now she's a writer herself with two little girls of her own. And so I felt like as time went by I was losing touch and connection with the teenage years and that's partly why I, I – I I decided I'd write children's books instead because, and they were what I'd always wanted to write. That was magical kind of children's books that I loved when I was a child. I wanted to go back into that world. So it's interesting now that my son 
as a teenager himself and those years that you were mentioning that connection between childhood and teenage years has made me feel like I'm getting close again to what it's like to be a, a teenager and also has felt like it's exactly the right place to have that bridge between childhood and teenagers, which is between years, because I was I started writing children's books when he was 10 and then between 10 and, and now he's 15 I've been writing them and I feel like it makes me understand the characters more because I've been watching the way he's had that gap. So in a way... It's not just the magical world of pure imagination of children, but I want to also write about the, I guess, the emotions of being in that age where you are, you, you are, and that's in a way why I wanted to have the real world as well as the, as the magical world. Yes, and it's a, that's um, a lot of the premise of why we created Frank World, because with children it can simply be magic. It's believable, it's easy. And then as teenagers... And that cynicism and the questioning comes in, but that tween space, it's this balance between the two. And so I think, as you mentioned with the Chronicles of Oscar, it's that making it realistic and bringing that reality element in, but still allowing for some of the magic. And that bridges that space between the two so beautifully. And now, uh, look, speaking, um, you mentioned Nicola earlier, and you've got two sisters, Nicola and Leanne, who are also authors. I love that on your website, you suggest some of their books. What was it like having siblings in the same space as younger? And then now as three authors, do you swap notes and ideas? Or is writing still a solo pursuit for you? Yeah, I, I grew up in a family of six kids. And we all, a lot of us liked telling stories. Uh, so our dad used to commission us to write stories. So you got a dollar fifty. We sold up an exercise book with words. So I grew up sharing stories with my sisters. My older sister Leanne used to tell stories to me, and I used to tell stories to the next sister down, Katie. So storytelling is part of our family. And now that we're grown up and three of us are writers, a lot of people say, are you competitive with each other? And um, I remember when I first, and I feel competitive saying this, I don't mean this competitively, <laughs> it's a fact that I was the one who got published first. Sure. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to say, ah, I'm better than the others. It's just luck that I got published first. But I remember then when Leanne got published, an aunt saying to me, well, that'll be good for you, a bit of competition. Uh-huh. And I thought, that was such a strange thing to say. I thought that's strange because I don't think of writing as a competitive, it's not like a sport. To write the best books, I think you have to write what's true to yourself mm. and always write the best books that you can, and that's what I've always done. So I never felt like anything changed when Leanne and Nicola started writing. And we do, and it's fantastic having them as writers too because we understand what you need as a as a writer mm-hmm. and what you need as someone is someone to um to be honest with you but never too critical and to give you lots and lots of praise so we, <laughs> we that when we've got ideas we tell each other i've got this idea for a book what do you think yep. and we would never say to the other person no 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 that's a stupid idea mm-hmm. we always say, oh that's an incredible idea yes you should do that <laughs> yes so that when we finish our Drafts, we show it to the other people and then and we call up and say, this is the best book that has been <laughs> I love that. Each other's greatest champions. 
exactly yeah so we're so lucky and then if something goes wrong we can complain to each other about it too <laughs> and ask advice too if the editor wants to change something and you don't know whether the editor's right or not you get so confused mm -hmm. so i always ask their opinions on that and and they will often say no you stand your ground <laughs> <laughs> i like that having someone in your corner exactly. um yeah. when you guys were all little i mean as in tweens what would it be like? Um, well, oh, that's a good question. I guess we we argued more then than we do now. We don't argue now. Um, but when I was a tween, I was very, very shy and I did not want to grow up. I know that I was reading, I don't know if you've read Judy Bloom books. Yes, yes. I was reading Judy Bloom at the time and all these characters, all these girls who were 12 or 13, were so excited about growing up and puberty and all that kind of thing. And each time I read them, and I love the books, but I would always think, what are you talking about? Why would you want to grow up? I just wanted to keep being a child and playing. And, and I, I was the tomboy. I wanted to just wear shorts and, and, and climb trees. And I wanted to play imaginary games all the time. Even on my first day of high school, my best friend next door came over and we played schools together like we used to when we were <laughs> And we were both embarrassed, but we were both also very relieved that we each wanted to keep doing it. That was also the time when Lady Diana was big in the news. Oh, okay. And, and my best friend next door and I both got Lady Di haircuts. So that was <laughs> not like the first step towards trying to be more grown up. It was a disaster for me. <laughs> my best friend looked beautiful with it, but I have curly hair. And it was so a Lady Di haircut meant layering all these so they sort of feathery laid, but it never stayed that way ever. It was a disaster. It felt <sighs> but out of control. And, yeah, so when I was a tween, I was very shy and I didn't want to grow up. <laughs> well, uh, funny you should mention Lady Di because at the end um, of every podcast, we rounded out with Francesca's Fast Five. And she wrote one today and she was like, how about Tiara or Hat? And I said, that's a silly one. Don't add that. We should have mm -hmm. kept it in. It would have been perfect for Princess <laughs> Di. <laughs> this is why you have to listen to the kids when they say they stay up until midnight and eat ice cream they stay up until midnight and eat ice cream <laughs> um in lots of the other books i've done that i normally get i go somewhere else because they have like really long chapters but what i like about your books is they have really short chapters and then long chapters and that keeps me wanting to read the next page and i just love your books they're so cool Oh, thank you. That's so lovely of you. You're so lovely. Thank you very much. Um, on your website, you list a lot of your favourite authors, including Roald Dahl. Was reading what made you want to be a writer? Uh, it's a good question. It's a big, probably a big part of why I, I wanted to be a writer and maybe it's a big part of, of why I write the kinds of books that I write, that the books that I read when I was growing up were very magical books and I loved that being able to wanting to believe in magic and being able to escape so as well as Roald Dahl I loved the Mary Poppins books mm -hmm. and we used to go to the library every week my mum used to take us to the library and we could choose books because we didn't have a television so we did a lot of reading but I, I think that I started telling stories and writing stories even before I was really a reader. So as soon as I got to try writing a story, I loved it so much. And 
maybe that's because I was so shy as well. It was an escape for me to go into the world of the story. And because I liked, I was just enchanted by the idea of magic. So I'm sure it was a combination. So I'm assuming the faraway tree was right up there for you as a child? Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely the faraway tree, exactly. And that's a good example of wanting to find a way from our world into another world. Mm. You can climb a tree and you can get there. Absolutely. And so uh, tell us about when your first book was accepted for publication. What did that feel like? Oh, it was fantastic. I, um, I wrote my first book. It was called Feeling Sorry for Celia, and that's for young young adults, maybe 11 to 15. And I was studying in England at the time in Cambridge and I had promised myself that I was not going to be allowed to come home from England until I was a published author because I was doing a a PhD in law at the time and I knew when I finished the PhD I would have to come home and get a job as a lawyer. So I thought this is my last chance. I have to get this book published and I'm not allowed to go home. So I made myself write the book and then I sent it to a publisher in London and they sent it straight back saying, no, thank you. <laughs> I sent it to another one and they sent it straight back saying, no, thank you. So I sent it to about 20 publishers and they all said no. And by this time I finished my degree and run out of money and my visa had expired and a secret pact with yourself not to go home until you're a published author is not legitimate grounds for extension of a visa (laughs) sadly so I had to go come home and I got a job in a law firm and on my first day of work I put the printout of feeling sorry for Celia in the corner of my office and I thought I'll work on that when I get a chance Mm -hmm. rewrite it and edit it something like that and then one year later it was still sitting on the floor in the corner And so I was working really late one night at midnight and I saw it there and I thought I'm going to give it one more chance. And I put it in an envelope and addressed it to a local uh, literary agency. And I, I imagined that it was, I visualized the envelope as a rescue helicopter that was going to come and airlift me out of the law firm. <laughs> and, send it away. and so a few weeks later, I got a call and the call was from, do you know the author Garth Nix? Uh, no, I don't. He's, a, he's an Australian fantasy writer who um, was working as a literary agent at the time. Okay. And he, had, he, had, he was already an established author. And so I, his name was familiar. I got a call and he said, this is Garth Nix. And I had my yellow notepad and my pen ready and the, the name Garth Nix was very familiar. So I assumed it was a client. <laughs> So I had my paper and I wrote down Garth Nix ready to find out what he wanted to say, like what new legal problem yep. <laughs> today. And so that made it even more wonderful when it turned out that he was saying he was a literary agent who had just read Feelings for Cecilia and that he wanted to represent me and find publishers. And within a few weeks he had got publishers for me in Australia in the US and the UK. So wow. and my, the lawyers who I worked with had cake for me and to celebrate. That's amazing. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and then the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> A lot of your books seem to have very long titles. Example, the slightly alarming tale of the Whispering Wars and your new book, The Astonishing Chronicles of Oscar from Elsewhere. Why is that? 
<laughs> it's a good question. And it's funny that you asked that because just right then I was thinking, I need to try and make my answers shorter. <laughs> no. Too long. And Not at all. I, I need to make my titles shorter too. <laughs> so it's just another example of me talking way too much. So I need to just close that down. But the Extremely Inconvenient Adventures of Bronte Metalstone, that title took a while to come up with and I wanted it to uh, – I wanted to combine – her name, Bronte Metalstone, was long, and I wanted so I wanted a grand title to work with her name. And then after that, I thought I want all the other titles to match that structure, so they had to keep being long. The American publishers, though, I think they'd had enough of that after the first book. They were happy to change. So in America, the slightly alarming tale of The Whispering Wars is just called The Whispering Wars. Did you find that disappointing, or was that all right for you? It was, I was fine because it was I, a little, actually a little bit disappointing. And it's the difficult thing about it is also that I get letters from people saying there's a book called The Slightly Alarming Tale of the Whispering Wars and there's another book called The Whispering Wars. So should I get both or are they the same? So I don't like the idea of confusing people. Sure. And then The Stolen Prince of Cloudburst, that's a nice short one. Too. It is. It's lovely, but it's still got that magical flavour to it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I personally like the long titles because it makes me sort of get an understanding where this book's going to, and I think that's a key feature of all your books, and I really like that about them. Well, that is good to know. Then I will stop telling myself I need to make the title shorter. Thank you very much. (laughs) I just think it's funny. It's like a a game to me because I also wrote a grown-up book called I have a bed made of buttermilk pancakes. Mum reads that all the time, every <laughs> night. <laughs> I, I read it when it first came out and oh, I've you. been rereading it in preparation for this interview. So oh, I enjoy it very much. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's all I right. I thought it was funny. It's like a little game with myself. Why should titles have to be short? I'm going to break the rules. I just like breaking rules a little bit. But it's the same thing with being magical too. Even as an adult, you don't quite lose it. And so you see a title like that and it instantly makes you want to pick it up and it's Mm -hmm. beautiful. So what does a typical day at work look like for you? Uh, Well, it it has changed since the whole lockdown and COVID thing Mm -hmm. because previously I used to, after I took my son to school, I would come home walk across the Sydney Harbour Bridge and then back again and then spend a couple of hours in a local cafe. And the local cafe that I chose was usually the chocolate shop, the chocolate cafe. The lint one? Uh, No, there's one in Kirribilli, a tiny one called Coco Chocolate. Okay. That tiny, tiny, tiny. It's just got one big table in the middle of a room and shelves filled with chocolate. The table's covered in chocolate. There's just enough room to have a hot chocolate and have your notepad there so in the mornings I usually would sit and write ideas and plan and brainstorm and things like that or eavesdrop on people (laughs) and then in the afternoon come home and write in my study for the afternoon so I've I've since the lockdown I've been writing less other authors have said that too that they I thought oh it's good I'll be have nothing to do but write but for some reason it um I think maybe you need the stimulation of mm, or the inspiration and, and inspiration of eavesdropping. Exactly. <laughs> this lockdown, though, I have been writing more than I did last time. This Sydney lockdown at the moment, it's been 
because I'm right in the middle of a book. So sure, you're on a roll. My, my writing day is. Oh, do you know what I do? I start the day by pretending I'm walking my son to school. <laughs> Not that I've walked. He's 15 now. Yeah. So he, I haven't walked him to school for for a few years now. But the school is just the primary school is just 10 minutes up the road, and I I have breakfast and then I pretend I'm walking. <laughs> I say to Charlie. I'm just walking Charlie to school. So he's in his room. I'm just walking Charlie to school. And then I walk up, you know, walk up this hill and back down again. And I try and make myself do that because just a quick walk up the hill and back down again makes, gets my mind mm-hmm. going. Into the zone. I have ideas while I'm walking, yeah. Okay, sure. What would you tell a tween who's following in your footsteps? Oh, who would like to write? Uh, do you like writing yourself? Well, I do like writing, like picture books but I'm not that great at spelling oh, when I it comes to like those big expression <laughs> words yeah I'm the one that's like you will do your 10 spelling words every night you're like oh it doesn't matter thanks that's okay I usually say, and I know this is an obvious one but doing lots of reading will help with your writing and reading all different kinds of books so doing lots of reading of the kinds of books you love but also trying to read more broadly even if you read science books or history books and poetry things like that not not ones that bore you but ones that you find interesting that helps to open up the possibilities of your imagination and also to write as many different forms and genres as well, trying out different things because what's happening when you're that age is you're finding your voice. And so a a lot of young people say, I'm having trouble because I can't make myself finish a book. I can't, or a story. They start writing a story and then they get bored and start something else. And I always say to those people, don't worry. If you're getting bored, it's because your voice is changing and evolving and developing. So don't feel like it's the end of the world if you keep jumping around between stories. I think that's an important part of it. And, and don't worry about spelling. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you think in a similar vein, um, those same traits is what it takes to be a great author? And what else does it take to be a great author? I think a, a big part of people who are great authors, who I know are people who have the combination, you have to find a way to combine two different aspects. One is a kind of dreamy imagination and the other is a level of determination and discipline. So it's not enough to just be fantasizing all the time. You also have to be able to sit down sometimes and be a bit strict with yourself and say so even when I when I said don't worry if you jump around between stories I think every now and then it's good to practice finishing a story just a very even a very short one so that you train yourself to have some level of discipline and also I think the great writers I know are are people who have compassion for other people I think they're 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 the best writers people who love and are curious about and fascinated by other people because the best writing I think is writing that gets under the surface of of characters and individuals and right deep down underneath the surface. So being able to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, perhaps. I th- yeah. I, I stole that straight out to kill a mockingbird, so <laughs> 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 someone else can lay credit for that one. 
Um, and so if you couldn't be an author or a lawyer, what else would you be? Oh, I used to want to be a school teacher when I was growing up because I used to play schools with my best friend Kelly from next door every yep. day. And, um, but when we played schools, what we did was sit next to each other and we had a blackboard in our chalkboard in our playroom and Kelly and I would sit right next to each other on chairs and we would teach imaginary classes. So we would just sit there going, blah, 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 writing things on the board, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but if I have actual students, I think I'm hopeless because <laughs> I, um, they don't take me seriously. I do not have a voice of authority. So I, I think I'd be a hopeless teacher, even though I love kids and I love <laughs> the idea of teaching. They can see straight away. I think they can see straight away that they can crush me if they want to. <laughs> um, so they're so naughty. When I go and talk to kids, they're usually great. I love talking to kids at schools and so on. But I think I always think they're being good because I'm just a visitor to the school. If I spend any more time here, they would know they can get away with things. Sure. Okay. I, yeah. So I would be a terrible teacher, but that's what I used to want to be. <laughs> I love to be a shopkeeper. I love it when I'm um, volunteering at canteens at school or, or at, uh, at a canteen at my son's football matches afterwards. Mm-hmm. I love so much. It's it's like playing shops, but interacting is with the people. human interaction. Yeah, so exactly. yep. yeah, yeah, and playing with the little machines where you <laughs> so you know and add it all up and you say this and this and this if you collect it. I I never seem to get tired of that. Okay, so. how do you find calm? Uh it's a wonderful question. It's really important because. It's uh, when you were asking before about what a writer needs, I was thinking in the back of my mind and I didn't say it, that being able to find calm is a big part of it, which means it's almost like you have to find the opposite of what you require for other occupations. So when I was a lawyer, I had to focus all the time and I had to train my mind in a way to, and I, I started gritting my teeth at that time because I had to train my mind, okay, think, focus, solve the problems. And I've discovered that you need to do the opposite sometimes. Sometimes you do need to focus to actually get the writing done. But if you want to come up with a new idea, you have to let go of all the focus mm-hmm. <laughs> allow yourself not to think about anything at all and allow yourself even when you've got a deadline so sometimes I've had a deadline and I forced myself to stop writing and go and this is what I really do to find calm is look at water so I go and sit by I'm lucky enough to live near the harbour mm-hmm. so I go and, and find somewhere on the harbour and sit and look at the sunlight on the water or at boats and put my phone away yes sure and um- Beautiful. Think about nothing at all. Yeah. Okay. If that's what makes you come, you should probably come down here to Kingscliff. I mean, (laughs) there's beach all around us. (laughs) Sounds like a dream. That's what my dream is to live near the beach because I'm I'm near Sydney Harbour, but what I really want is to be somewhere where I can see the whole ocean. Mm. Okay. Now, we always end every interview with Frank's Fast Five. I ask the questions, and you literally say the first thing that pops into your head. Ready? Okay. Let's go. Writing or reading? Reading. Christmas or birthday? Oh, Christmas. Okay, now it gets hard. Blueberries or chocolate? 
not impossible. You know that I'm an indecisive person, don't you? I'm supposed to just say the first thing that jumps into my head. But each thing you've asked, I have. I can't believe I said reading instead of writing. <laughs> I just really like reading. Wow, that you're undermining my whole career. Um, blueberries or chocolate? I do chocolate. Okay. Kids or adult? Kids. Now we've literally just said this question, but. Where would you like to go anywhere in the world right now? Oh, the Swiss Alps. Good choice. In Switzerland. Switzerland. I've got this strange compulsion to go there. Did you ever read Heidi? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I've always been interested in the Swiss Alps, and then I started following, for some reason, an account on Instagram to um, mountains, and I just can't stop dreaming of going there. I love it. I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to say somewhere around the water. You would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. And usually, I would say that's just that I've got lodged into my head that I want to go and ride in the mountains for. That's the same with Mum. She's already planning out Christmas. (laughs) Christmas twenty twenty three when something's open. But um, look, I certainly understand that. And Wonderlust, I think, is probably a big part of writing for any author. It allows you to set the scene, create a new stage. And so we uh, very much look forward to Borders opening and when you can travel to the Swiss Alps. And we look forward to a new book coming out within the next (laughs) two years set in the Alps. That would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. We'll remember from this meeting. Yes, Francesca? Oh, that would be the coolest book. Yes, it would. (laughs) (laughs) well look Jacqueline thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today we really have appreciated it and sharing a window into your world has been just magical it's a pleasure I'm sorry I was so regularly inarticulate and talked for too long (laughs) you never talked for too long it was purely you were telling a story that's what makes a podcast better you're so kind, Francis. Thank you. <laughs> You're so lovely. I mostly get it from her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Francesca. You, you are a generous spirit. Um, well, good luck with your picture books and your spelling. And, Thank you. And Life by the Sea. I Yes, I'm jealous. But it was so lovely to meet you both. Thank We're jealous so of you. <laughs> <laughs> look, thank you. And we look very much to reading The Astonishing Chronicles of Oscar from Elsewhere when it's released. I can't wait. Thank you so much. I'll never want to watch TV again. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Frank.World podcast, where we're all about educating and empowering tweens like me. To learn more or get involved, please go to www.frank.world. Bye. Mm.